are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Good morning, church. All right, we got a little bit better than that. Good morning, church. Great to see all of you this morning. We're going to continue our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Carly, thanks for reading that. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7. It's our fifth week in this series. It's been really good for me. I've heard from many of you that you've uh, contemplated this book in a new way. Um, Here uh, this morning, the the preacher, this main voice in Ecclesiastes, he's, he's helping us know how to accurately and appropriately approach God's house, to, in a sense, know how to act when we go in to God's house. And so his tone here kind of reminded me of something that I would hear often as a child, and it was like this sobering speech. And so I don't know if any of you grew up like kind of road tripping to family's house or grandparents' house as a child. The, the town that I grew up in, I didn't have my extended family there. So almost every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every long weekend, whatever, we'd road trip to grandma's house. And you know, those road trips as a, as a child, they can be killer, right? You know, it was it was the olden days of, of yore. You know, we did not have all the devices that the kids have uh, these days. Um, and so those road trips really seem to stretch out. Um, I know, I think it was around 1992, we did get a Game Boy. And so that was, that was incredible. We could play Tetris, my sister and I, on, on the trip. Uh, but as we would be approaching our destination, inevitably like this speech would start. And like um, my, my dad would kind of be looking in the rearview mirror, like the mirror would, I mean the music would go down and my mom would kind of be turning. She was usually in passenger seat. And it was this instruction of how to act when we got to grandma's house. And then like, so there was, there was a certain set of rules, you know, so you, you know, remember when we get there, you know, I want to hear uh, yes sir and yes ma'am and no sir and no ma'am and please and thank you. Um, take your shoes off at the back door. There, there were just certain house rules that they wanted to remind us of, um, they would say things like, um, don't sit in Papa's chair. And um, of course, as we all know, we, we weren't allowed to, uh, to change the channels with the clicker, you know, uh, because that wears out the TV, you know, so we couldn't, couldn't do that. Um, and so it was always, it was a sobering speech, um, but it was exciting because it meant the trip was almost over. Um, and so here, the preacher, this voice in Ecclesiastes, He's, he's preparing us in a similar way. He's cautioning us. He's making sure that we don't, don't act a fool when we go into the house of God. And so this section of chapter 5, it really focuses on the importance of our words, and specifically our words in God's presence. And he helps us to think about the power of our words. Because of the way, this is important, the way we speak in God's presence is a reflection of what we believe about our place in relation to Him. And I think that's true even in our relationships, right? The way we speak to one another reflects what we really believe about our place in relation to someone else. So the title of this sermon is Wisdom in the House of God. Words are incredibly powerful and significant. This world was created with words, wasn't it? God said, we read in Genesis, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And we see that refrain over and over again in Genesis, created with words. We've been reading the uh, Chronicles of Narnia uh, series to our children, and I love how C.S. Lewis pictures this in The Magician's Nephew. Do you, if you've read this, do you remember it? Aslan's walking into this void, 
And his picture of creation, C.S. Lewis, is that Aslan is using his words, but he's actually singing creation into existence. It's beautiful. But humans, we're made in the image of God. We are image bearers, every single one of us. And so we have the ability to think and understand ideas and emotions. And then we have this ability to create language. And with that language, we can communicate ideas to one another through words. So in the image of God, in a sense, we can also, as humans, create through words. Words are powerful. You know, John even calls the, the coming Messiah, do you remember the Logos? The Word, the Word made flesh has dwelt among us. Words have power in our lives personally. I'm sure if you just take a moment, you can think of comments that you've received at different parts of your life that have really stuck with you, both good and bad. Maybe a word of encouragement that you've really clung to. Maybe a wound that someone's inflicted upon you through a through a silly comment that, that affects you still. Years ago, I overheard this older woman. I'm estimating that uh, she was probably in her 70s when she said this, and I overheard her remarking <clears throat> that she still remembers being a, a little girl of six or seven and overhearing someone say in reference to her that she'll never be as pretty as her mother. And this woman, it just struck me, She's you know, 70 years later, she's carrying this offhanded comment that someone made with her 70 years later. Words are powerful things. And so the, the preacher's preparing us as we enter the house of God in these verses to do so rightly. And it, and it has to do with our words. So let's look in verse 1. I'm going to read that again. I want you to read along with me. He says in verse 1, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So when you go into God's house, guard your steps. You need to approach reverently, appropriately, and you need to draw near to listen, to not offer the sacrifice of a fool. So what does it mean? What does it look like to be foolish in how we approach God? Well, he continues, read with me in verse 2. He says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you're on earth, therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. A fool approaches God in worship with thoughtless comments, a rash mouth, hasty speech, too many words. And it's possible for us, or maybe brother and sister, maybe even likely for us to do the same, to come into God's house with improper motives behind our speech. And so we should come with praise on our lips. We should come to use our words to bless the Lord and to bless one another, but instead we, we twist that. We use corporate worship as a time, instead of hearing from God, we use it as a time to impress others or to make ourselves look good or to prove or demonstrate our superiority. An author of Ecclesiastes would say we're fools for doing that. The whole canon of Scripture has a ton to say about this, about words being used disingenuously in worship. There's a ton to say about this in Scripture, about worshiping with words that don't really reflect our heart. 
major emphasis in the Old and New Testament is exposing this performative, self-righteous worship. Israel had this culture of temple worship. It was inauthentic. Over and over we read about Israel's broken promises, inability to live up to their words, habitually over-promising and under-delivering. This hurt their reputation. They were meant to be a witness among the nations, to be a, a light to the nations, pointing the nations to the true God. But their hypocrisy was a hindrance to this. So throughout Scripture, there's this attack on outward performative religion while not treasuring Christ inwardly. That's what the Shema, think about that. Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's what he's after. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want our religious words without our hearts. Isaiah 29, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Christ picks this up in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as hypocrites do in the synagogues and streets that they may be praised by others. That's the, the sacrifice of fools. He continues about fasting. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And he continues about prayer. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Why? That they may be seen by others. And he goes on, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard. Why? For their many words. Think about it. How twisted is that? What a gift prayer is, right? What a costly gift prayer is to be able to speak to God Almighty, to be able to hear from Him. Think about the, the sacrifice um, of Christ in order for us to have that beautiful gift and access to pray to the Lord. But how twisted is it that we at times, instead of utilizing that gift, we say, hey, I'm going to act like I'm praying, but I'm really performing for those in my hearing. I'm, I'm wanting to make sure they know I know how to pray really well, that I'm really godly. It's so sad. In my opinion, the most egregious offenders of this, the ones most likely to use their words to perform, are people like me. They're elders, pastors, church staff, church leaders, coming into God's house, not listening, hasty with our words, too many words, just foolishness. If we come to the house of God with impure motives behind our religious actions, then the preacher's right. We are just adding to the vanity. We are adding to the meaningless of empty religion under the sun. Y'all, we're just playing church. Not only does foolishness look like too many words, like hasty speech, of not having a posture of listening. Foolishness also looks like empty promises. Read verses 4 through 7 with me. It says this, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. 
Let your mouth not lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. Vows when a person addresses God and promises to do something. So vows are serious things. Words are powerful. They matter. We see different vows in Scripture. There's a Nazarite vow that, that involves like uh, not cutting your hair, not touching dead bodies, avoiding strong drink. Um, there's, there's Hannah's vow. Do you all remember that in Scripture where she, uh, she asked God for a son and vowed that if God would give her a son, she uh, would commit him into her service, which she did, and she did, and that son was named Samuel. Some of us this morning have made a vow to another person, haven't we? In the presence of God and many witnesses, we've made a vow to have and to hold. We've made a vow to be faithful in sickness and in health, rich or poor, for better or for worse, as long as we both shall live. Some of us have taken that vow. It's a serious and beautiful vow. But sometimes our vows can be less thoughtful. Sometimes we get desperate. We start trying to play let's make a deal with God. We start bargaining with Him to get what we want, to try to manipulate Him to get what we want. Have you ever promised God things in desperate moments? God, if you will just do this, if you will just take away this, if you will just solve this problem the way I want it, then I will do this. And it becomes this bargaining type relationship. And there's folly in empty promises, the preacher says. There's foolishness in these short-lived resolutions. So our words matter when we come into the house of God, and our words matter as we approach God. So I want to sum up a few of these thoughts before we move in, a few points for you. Here's what the preacher seems to be saying in these verses. I want to distill this down for you. Firstly, point number one, it says, a wise person is thoughtful and measured with their words. So not rash, not hasty, thoughtful and measured. Secondly, a wise person approaches God with a desire to listen. Listen, slow to speak, quick to listen, as James says. And thirdly, a wise person does what they say they're going to do. They follow through. They're a person of their word. They honor their vows. Seems to be what the, what the preacher is getting at here. But there's this fourth thing I think he's saying there, and I think this one might be the most important. At least I think it's the key for us being able to do the other three. It's kind of the, the ground beneath it for, that we can grow into those things, and it's this. It's point number four. A wise person speaks from a place of humility. A wise person speaks from a place of humility. I want you to see it in verse 2. Let's read verse 2 together again. He says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. But listen, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. See, there's this, this ground clause right in the middle of that verse. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. So what he's saying is that's the reason. So what I've just told you, don't be rash with your mouth. Don't be hasty to utter a word. Why? Because God is in heaven and you're on earth. That's the reason for that. So what does that mean? Well, he's saying this. Don't forget who God is and who we are not. So we don't come into God's house and push open the door and throw our feet up on the couch, run in our mouth. 
No, 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 no. That's not the right posture at all. He's in heaven. He is God. We are merely here on earth. I want you to see in this text this morning that there's this connection. There's a connection between arrogance and this exaggerated sense of self-importance and being a fool with your words. There's likewise a connection between humility, between understanding how small we are in comparison to God and having wisdom with our words. Proverbs 11.2, with arrogance comes disgrace. When arrogance comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. I'll say it like this. Wise words flow out of a right posture before God. Wise people are humble people. A wise person understands just how low they are and how high God is. And so I've been praying for you all and praying for myself. And really my goal this morning, um, I think that I would best serve you this morning, brothers and sisters, by reminding you of how big God is, reminding you of how powerful and transcendent He is. That that's the way we, we get to an appropriate posture. That we couldn't look on Him and live. He is no, no person or no God to be trifled with. When we start to see the magnitude, we start to see how big the chasm between us and God is. We start to see how much distance there is and how different He is than us. It starts to cultivate the proper posture before Him. It starts to cultivate a humble and lowly heart. We become more self-aware, aware of our weakness and humanity and frailty. And the ways in which we need to grow out of this foolish speech, I think a lot of those things fall into place a bit easier when we understand who we are in relation to God. So i got a question for you. Why did you choose to come here this morning? Why did you choose to gather this morning? I'm so glad that you did. I'm really grateful to see each one of you builds our faith up and edifies us collectively each week. These rhythms of putting ourselves in the path of God's grace. Why did you choose to gather this morning? Brother, sister, He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. Don't be here to absolve yourself of some guilt, to uh, perform in such a way that now you think God will bless your week because you uh, checked this box or did this thing. Don't come because... Um, you're afraid that your GC leader may like send you a text on Monday if you didn't come or, or whatever it is. Um, come because you want to meet with the Lord and He wants our hearts. He doesn't need us, right? He doesn't need us. He doesn't need a manual church. Think about who He is in relation to who we are. We, we get to participate in worship with our brothers and sisters of Him. Acts 17 Paul says it like this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything. Since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. That's who God is, and we get the opportunity to worship Him and 
have relationship with him. And think about how big and powerful he is. He's orchestrating this plan of redemption throughout the ages. He's calling a people from every tribe and tongue and nation to himself. And this is so much bigger than Birmingham and Emmanuel Church in our little bitty world. He's so vast and powerful. Think of who he is and approach him correctly. And at times, God has to remind us of this. At times, we exaggerate our self-importance. It um, says in Scripture that we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. I was thinking of the book of Job. Do you remember the book of Job? Job's this God-fearing man. He encounters this great tragedy, and the book of Job goes on, and it ends up with Job. He's kind of um, accusing God or is he saying you've done me wrong I don't, I don't deserve to suffer these things remember how faithful I was in everything that I did in your name and so Job gets counsel from friends and, um, and so all through the book of Job it's many 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 words spoken by Job spoken by his friends and they're just talking 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 and the Lord is silent through most of the book those of you who've read it will know that the end of the book, the Lord finally speaks, and he speaks out of a whirlwind. Must have been terrifying for Job at that time. And he says this to Job. He offers these, it's two chapters worth of just rhetorical questions, putting Job in his place. And he begins, who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He goes after Job, kind of putting him in his place. And so he asked these questions. Think of this. This is the same God we worship this morning. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding, Job. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? Have you commanded the morning since your days began or caused the dawn to know its place, Job? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare it if you know all this. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that the floodwaters may cover you? Can you, Job, send forth lightning that they may go and say to you, here we are. Shall the fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. So he says to Job, Come on. So how does Job respond? He gets it exactly right. Job responds and says, Behold, I'm of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Sometimes an appropriate way to worship the Lord is just acknowledging and remembering how sovereign and powerful and grand He is and how weak and small and frail we are, how He does not need our advice, He doesn't need our gifts, He doesn't need our talent. He is completely self-sufficient. He is completely happy. He doesn't need us. God is God. He is in heaven. And we are merely here on this earth as a vapor as a mist. It's a hard word. It's a big theme of Ecclesiastes. We are, we are temporary people here on this earth that we are not nearly as significant as we think we are, but we are a vapor. So let your words be few. Let your words be few. I'm going to distill this down into, into one sentence. I think will 
encapsulate the whole message and then we'll, we'll close. It's, <laughs> it's difficult for me to want to preach very long on a text that says, let your words be few here. So I'm trying to um, practice what I preach here. I'm going to distill it into this one statement. Accurately understanding who God is will cultivate in us a humble posture so that we learn to listen and use our words wisely. We approach the Lord correctly in His house. Let's close in prayer. And, uh, and while I'm doing that, band can come back up. Let's pray. Father, it's such a gift and such a treasure to be able to speak to You. Father, we confess, Lord, that we often use this gift of words, Lord, in selfish ways. We use this privilege to be able to speak to You in selfish ways. We're often flippant about the, the fact that we get to speak to the Creator of the universe. Father, help us, ground us this morning, Father. Position us properly beneath You. Father, it is good for us to remember how powerful and sovereign and capable You are. It's good for us to meditate this morning on Your transcendence. To think deeply about the fact, Lord, that, that You don't need us or our church, Father, but You're inviting us into a story that You have been writing since the beginning of time. Father, we are grateful to be here this morning. Lord, we come and we want to hear from You this morning. We want to listen to you this morning. We confess that we are often too wordy, too quick to chime in with our speech, hasty, rash, or we inflict wounds. Keep us from that this morning. Keep us humble. Keep us low. And help us to treasure you. Let our words accurately picture what's in our hearts this morning. Lord, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a sermon from Emmanuel Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to emmanuelwithanibirmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Emmanuel Birmingham. 